Why, hello there. Before we get into my most recent chat with the fabulous Michael DeBar, I want to tell you, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit subscribe and hit like, or as they say sometimes, smash that subscribe button. I don't know. Just click it. And if you're listening to this on a podcast app, make sure you're subscribed or following, and also write a review, let the world know how much you enjoy the show, and rate it as well. And of course, the five-star rating is the most sophisticated rating. And uh, by dint of you listening to this, you are a true sophisticate. And of course, head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends, where you can get advanced, uncut, and commercial-free versions of these episodes, plenty of bonus episodes, lots of parenting chat with Ada and I, and a whole host of other things. So head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends, support the show, and uh, set yourself free. So uh, let me just adjust this. Adjusting, Adjusting, everyone. Adjusting. Adjusting. Thank you. Quiet, people. All right. Yeah, we're ready. So we're started. And I want to talk about my delight in making one of my favorite guests, Michael DeBar, a proper cup of coffee. Perfect coffee. I love it. It's, uh, you know, obviously one loved cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) Which you can't have, you know, you can't have that all the time. So black coffee. Yeah, I get a buzz out of it. It really does wake me up. But the secret about it is do not get your second cup. Oh, yes. I have very strong black coffee at 5 a.m. Yeah. You know, because my show is at 5 to 8 in the East Coast. On Little Steven's Underground Garage. And now there's two shows, right? Because you have the long form interview. I do, I do. Underground After Dark, you know. And that's been unbelievable, mm-hmm. you know. And I, sp- I spoke about uh, coffee to Graham Nash, and he absolutely <laughs> agreed. And he's like 80. 80, and only in the last five to 10 years, completely changed his life, moved to New York. Yeah. A Laurel Canyon or, you know, similar kind of place guy. Yeah. And that's kind of inspiring. He is so inspiring on so many levels. And, yeah. he, and he still believes in the the wonderful ritual of Laurel Canyon. Yeah. You know, and, and he believes in that and the peace and, and the love. And I said to, because he's a collector, you know, he collects extraordinary things. And I said, oh, what right. makes you a collector? What are, why are you collecting stuff? And he, yeah. says, he says, well, Michael, it's because I want to be close to the flame. <laughs> I said, wow, could you like... Tell me more about that flame. What is the flame to you? Yeah. And he said, uh, well, I don't really know. <laughs> but he's chasing <laughs> said, that. or But he's chasing something, you know, and, and because he is who he is and he can afford to buy, you know, Paris, you know. Uh, <laughs> twice. Twice, yeah. And, uh, London and Paris. <laughs> but he's just internationally spiritualized, mm. you know, but he's an amazing guy. I've learned a lot from interviewing people mm. because I've spent most of my life, you know, being interviewed. Yes. So, you know, it's it's really good for me. You know, on an egoic level, it's really psychically important, you know, that I want to know about you. 
And it's true. All yeah. great conversations and all great, like we're going to have and yeah. are having. And have so many. And so many. You know, you learn something about yourself during that process. That's one of the things I love the most. I bet. About, yeah, absolutely. And you have a memory. You have a memory that is really, really good. And, it, and it's you. excellent to be able to re recall the past because a lot of people my age, you know, 22. Yeah. I, it's a tough uh, age, 22. It, well, you know, it's been tough. Uh, you know, I was really <laughs> smart when I was 19, but it's going away. Um, so, you know, the vibe about, like, remembering stuff is very important. Because my age group, you know, I'm 75. Mm. So, therefore, uh, the word dementia is used, which is, of course, the title of my next album. <laughs> Yes, We're very exactly. excited. <laughs> Get ahead of it, embrace it, and then brand it. Yeah. Oh, that's that's such a T-shirt. <laughs> you know, I mean, dementia. Well, you know what? Uh, the next detective record. I don't know if there's a reunion on hand. Detective dementia. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Very good. Double D. Duran Duran. <laughs> Here we go again. There you go. The <laughs> secrets of the industry. We're just telling y'all. Yeah. 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 But it's it's great to be able to get information from people that I genuinely want to hear, you know, yeah. because a lot of it is so then you're in Detective and Jimmy Page was, you know, and it's just written. Yeah. What's so, the, what was Led Zeppelin like? I completely stop any interviews that are like that. Mm -hmm. You know, like they, they, they've got a list of things that were, well, you know, Murdoch or whatever I did in the past, oh, you yeah. know, and it's all written. And then I go, you know, I don't, I just want to talk about now, you know, and the power of now and all of that. And Eckhart Tolle on guitar, you mm -hmm. know. And Krishnamurti on drums, dig it. That band's just uh, unbelievable. It was very, it, you know, it, they would levitate. Yeah. That's the thing. When they played Madison Square Garden, they were levitating. Krishnamurti was, didn't need, like a, you know, Tom, yeah, one of those Tommy rises. Lee's ring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he could do he the rotation just, thing, go over the audience himself. That's it, right, he did. Yeah, with a jazz kit, And too. Paul Stanley was really upset, you know. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it is a beautiful spiritual thing. If you stay in the moment, and you're interested. Mm. I think that's what's kept me sort of reasonably lively is I just want to know. When do you think that that dawned on you as the key thing? Because we were talking before rolling about uh, a different phase in your life that we've covered before, but before you were sober, which was 45 years ago, correct? 42 years oh, of sobriety. Well, I said, because you're 22, I, I mix so it, it up. You know, it? it's, yeah, yeah, half yeah. of it I was dead, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I came back to life. No, I mean, you know, I don't know where it all comes from. I, I think that, you know, one didn't have parents, so I didn't know, I didn't have that that vibe of being taught anything. You, you had know? no, um, what's the thing? Well, model, I guess, of, of how to be. And one of the things I was telling Ada about is that, I mean, she loves our episodes together. Good. And your, your shows and everything. Uh, and it seemed not surplus to requirements, but I think, I, you know, I'd obviously mentioned your documentary. And then the other day we were talking and I said, not just the thing where you go, oh, what you do in a medium shot. So the corners here, here, here and here, which is one of my favorite things I've ever seen. That's great. I love you that you got that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it said so much. It just communicated everything. A couple things mainly that you are so dove, uh, you dive in so intensely yeah. into what you're doing and you don't let anything uh, stop you. To quote Matthew Wilder, uh, ain't nothing going to break my stride. And that's very true about you. Yeah, well, I didn't stop running. You know, I mean, it's like an endless race, uh, but there's no end to the race. And there's also no victory mug at the end of it. It's just in the moment stuff. It's really incredible. It's something like, you know, people would say, and I, I, I've worked with psychiatrists and therapists and so mm -hmm. on and so forth, and I still do. 
And I've gotten some that completely don't understand what it's like to live in the world where you didn't have parents. You know, no, what? no, no, Michael, don't do that. You know, don't, no, 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 no. There's nobody saying no, no, no. And everybody's saying yes, yes, yes. Right. So that's better. <laughs> well, and also you're very crafty. I mean, you're savvy rather. Which is an important thing, and a lot of times people uh, look askance at that because it's they want to paint it as an opportunist type of thing. I was talking to someone about there's opportunism, Ada actually, uh, opportunism where it's a healthy one, where you say, hey, there's an opening there, you know, like that could be good for me. Uh, but the words are so strange. Language is so strange with that because it, it, sometimes people weaponize uh, things that are uh, healthy. Yeah, I, opportunity uh, doesn't knock, you know. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but I, I found, though, over the years, you know, especially with the mother-father thing, is that I was, I mean, this is so corny, but I was always looking for somebody to put their arms around me, yeah. you know. So then, and I did that, and I, and then I found out, you know, when I was like 16, 17, that those arms are not comforting at all. Yeah, those arms around one are usually uh, ends in tears and mm -hmm. uh, and hospitalization. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my, my curiosity about too is I was talking to Ada about you're such a warm, inspiring, uh, present person. There was an observation you made, uh, which I'll keep the details of occluded. We were at a lunch with some folks, and someone was very unpleasant to me in an almost subtle way you sat next to me you you were clocking everything and you care about everyone and you, you leaned over and you said something to me that instantly uh, you down maybe yeah and repealed things because it was just fresh after getting out of the pandemic and i was struggling with uh, mental issues uh, yeah yeah but yeah. you saw that and you knew you you saw all the details and you saw well, the you're a good man and it's it's very easy whether you know whether you feel you're broken or put together you you send off good vibes no matter what so i can feel that because i've i've been subjected to such bad vibes from so many you know but they're not because I've learned more from mm -hmm. people bad vibing, you know, that that's not what I want. Yes. So therefore you're taking away all of that from yourself. You know, you can see the disgusting behavior of mm -hmm. somebody that would like have a go at you. Right. Yeah. And so when that happens and I say to myself, well, you know, God bless them because they're going to suffer from this and hopefully they grow from this. I did, you mm -hmm. know, and, and the, ego, the egoic sensibility is really doesn't get you anywhere. You can track it through show business, if you like, or mm. sports, and people become this, you know, this peacock. Yeah. Um, and the feathers fall. They do ine inevitably. They always do. And also the person we're talking about couldn't have been more successful in their chosen career, but they couldn't see it or feel it. And, and that, like you said, God bless them because they have more struggles than me or you. Well, money and fame are poison. Uh huh. You know, as a rule, I mean, it's it's pretty, you know, evident in so many stories. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at this kid, what Aaron Carter, you know, mm, and uh, it, yeah. here's a kid who like was really talented and got in the drug thing, and and you know, like to me, it's like watching the same movie over <laughs> and over again. You know, I mean, yeah. come on, let's do a sequel. You know. <laughs> I mean, let's live for a couple more sequels. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. So let the chapters of your life be a book that is romantic and beautiful and physical. And, you know, don't think. Thinking is so overrated 
to it is and one of the things we were talking about before we rolled oh let me i'm going to silence notifications you know when you have so many linked devices although that did work out for me once when trixie mattel was on and i got a call from the queer clinic the one time i had an sti uh, and uh, that made it a public service announcement because I felt <laughs> this is great to share yeah. things like that. And you have shared things like that so much, and I don't know when that started necessarily, but one of the main things I was thinking about recently was that your film, the documentary, is called Who Do You Want Me To Be? Now, it's a quote, or a line, rather, from your song Obsession, which we've talked about was essentially about cocaine, the thing that drives the obsession for addiction, which one could think, uh, relate it to what you just said, looking for the arms to hold you, until you realize that they're inside or whatever. That'd be kind of uncomfortable. But uh, the thing I was really uh, taken with is that essentially that is like a cocktail personality or something verging into narcissistic personality at the time which would make more than total sense because of not having parents and also how you looked at the landscape okay i'll be this version of myself for this for that, be- yes well that's acting <laughs> you know it's well, acting sure. skill you know i mean you make yourself fit into it because you want a family so therefore you'll change over the years you know and whoever's around you you want to be loved by but i don't need to be loved on that level i need to love yes and, and we all a, do that's the, yeah. the other thing like the the tenants I know about with AA is the the one thing that I always think of is uh, doing service or being of service to people. Yeah, but that's great. You know, it's wonderful. It no, feels for instance, great. I mean, yeah. it, and I'm not just talking about, hey, kid, you should quit Jack Daniels, you know, and stop snorting that fucking coke and really, get, you know, get get run and go to the gym and eat well. Yeah, I don't say any of that. No. That's like saying, you know, you should have three eyes. If you grew another eye, third eye, you'd be okay. It's magic. It's bullshit. You know, I mean, I treat everybody like that. Like good, like really try to get to the good vibe. You know, when I interview people, but on the radio, and this is fascinating, you know, I've been on the radio nine years Mm. every day talking to people for three hours that, that aren't there. Right. And explaining, you know, what I feel about Jimmy Page or, you know, how Wilson Pickett changed my life. Yeah. You know, whatever it is, man, yeah. you know, or I was one of the birds. You know? <laughs> or Robert Plant. As, yeah, uh, I was know. Robert Plant. You know, that's me. <laughs> you know, because I make it so personalized, you know, and I, it's not like a professorial at all. It's the eagerness of a fan. And if you've got that in you and you are, a, you know, a, a person that, that is artistic, then, you know, it, it really adds a lot to your strength as an actor, especially mm-hmm. as an actor. And I, I love that. But the other day I thought, you know, Michael, that this acting business, you haven't acted at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because every band I was in was just another movie in many ways, which I knew was not real. Mm-hmm. You know, well, that's what like group Paul says about uh, discovering the absurdity of the world or s- rather seeing it, their viewpoint reflected in Monty Python. That was sort of the gateway to everything. Like, oh, wait, I'm not the only one who no, thinks. No, absolutely. Monty Python was our, um, you know, Jean Cocteau and, uh, you know, the, the French surrealists, you know, yeah. because that's what Monty Python was, surrealism. Yeah. But on a, yeah, look out, you know, on a very conservative British vibe, which is so illogical. <laughs> but why did George Harrison fall in love with that? And, and mortgages house to finance their film. Exactly right. Yeah. Because he believed in that uh, metaphysical humor. Yeah. And he even had that humor, even though he was like down here, wasn't he? You know, I don't understand why. 
I, when I, I'm, I'm happy in my park, in my garden, but when I go outside, I, I, I wonder, what the fuck am I doing here, you know? I mean, I find it's just this lost, beautiful, not lost, you know, spiritualized man. And he fell in love with the Monty Python team, for sure. And yeah. he also did that Madonna movie, which is a whole other story. Oh, Shanghai Surprise. Anything I can find on that. There's a documentary piece I'll have to send you. Uh, yeah, and he was not shy about talking about the difficulties of working with both of them. Well, and he's a, a beetle. Oh, you know, I mean, he can say anything he wants. He can. You and know. I think he tried to be, not demure, but he tried to be uh, uh, polite or dignified about it. But at a certain, And he still was. But then he, he had to just come with the truth because there was so much shit going on. But the thing, one of the things about George Harrison that I admire and am so uh, touched by is that, as you said, he had this dourness. He had this cynicism. But then he tried his hardest to alleviate that or ameliorate that with the spiritual questing. But then there's a famous quote, and I don't know what the circumstances is, possibly a business meeting, where he closed it. He said, fuck you, Hare Krishna, you know, bless you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really, yeah, I hear you. I, it's, there's a moment in Get Back, the brilliant Peter Jackson documentary, which just yeah. blew everybody's minds. And, uh, you know, but when he gets up and says, uh, I'm leaving. I'm not yeah. in the band anymore. And he just goes. <laughs> it's not like, oh, I fucking hate you. It was none of that. He said, I'm off. And he was gone. Yeah. And then they had to go to his house. You know the story. I'm mm. sure everybody out there knows the story. George Harrison fascinates me. You know, he really does because he's 15, 16, 17, and John and Paul were so brilliant and they wouldn't listen to, you know, to anything he had. I mean, that must have been really, really difficult. Right now, with the AI thing with Sir Paul, is very interesting too, where they've got this song from Lennon, you know. Oh, I didn't know about this. It's a very interesting thing. They've got a song from that Lennon did years ago mm-hmm. on a piano in the Dakota where it's all echoey and not having. And they wanted to like clean it up after his death and yeah. put it out. And they tried, and George said, no, it sucks. It's horrible. It's rubbish. Yeah. You know? And now... So Paul is doing just that with AI. Because the AI is the, the reason they were able to clean up those audio tracks. Because it was only yeah. two mono recorders, which right. weren't even labeled properly. Yeah. And they were able to parse out all of the things that were murky and buried. And it's unbelievably Peter clear. Peter Jackson. No genius. And, uh, you know, and uh, do you remember that? For me, the most important part of that, of Get Back, was that with the tape recording of, of John and Paul saying, no, John, really, I don't, I'm, I don't feel like that at all. You the know, flower I really pot recording. You. Yeah, that. Yeah. Just forget about it. That was it. That was the moment for me from that extraordinary documentary. How we went there, I don't know. But it's such an amazing thing. When also seeing McCartney, because of course they're so media savvy. That's what they've been living. And they were the first ones to really have it at that level. Yeah. Uh, you know, hiding in mail trucks, laundry trucks to get out of places. And McCartney goes, I can't talk about this right now on camera. <laughs> Doesn't have any idea that there's one overhead. Yeah. And it's that surreptitious, whatever um, Lindsay Michael Hogg. Michael Lindsay Hogg. Sorry, right. Uh, Lindsay was a different per- uh, different director. Orson Welles' son. Ah, that's right. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's a remarkable thing. Because I think they probably had the similar inclination. Beetle. And he... Um, See, I think with documentaries, there should be a touch to that. If you're capturing things, yeah, there's no uh, decorum except get everything. It's the truth, man. You know, it's just the truth. I mean, you know, it was so interesting when he goes, when George goes, and Lennon goes, "Well, just get Eric." Yeah, it's so crazy because it's also kind of 
like George is brilliant and George's self-esteem is so low at that moment. He, he's thinking, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. Like George Harrison, one of the most in, I, I, influential. Maybe he was thinking that. I, I, I rather think that he he knew what he could do and he was just tired of not being given an opportunity. And it's, you know, it's a, there's a lovely thing in, uh, you know, I got a feeling yes. when Paul's doing that. And then at the end of him singing, literally, I got a feeling for like two minutes. And George says, well, is that the title then? <laughs> Oh, the acidity in his humor. And also, uh, like, we had two different impressions of the same scene. The film is genius also because it's a Rorschach test. You see your um, philosophies or your life or however however you've interacted with other people. Forget being in a band. It's how you interact with other people. And you see McCartney's approach. Lennon, who's kind of removed in the first section because of the heroin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, any of them. You know, all all of it and more. Uh, and you get a, a refined idea of Yoko and her presence there and also the slightly misogynistic take that everyone's had on all of that. But it, it is a Rorschach test and you see yourself in it. Actually, and I yeah. think I think that's the same at most documentaries, but especially yours. Well, you know, it was fantastic because I... I, I just did went to another place. I didn't want to posturing or anything like it. And I just wanted to tell the truth. And, you know, and it's good, man, because, uh, you know... It really made me uh, different doing mm-hmm. it, talking it, you know, and the, and the director, Josh Weinstein, was so amazing and he asked the right questions and he knew me. He did such research. I just absolutely believe in research. You know, you've got to know what the story is or what they think the story is and, and wind it, you know, interviewing people is fascinating to me. But I'm very proud of that documentary, man, because no lies there. I'm not saying anything that didn't happen. Right. And that's the key to it. And authenticity, whether or not people know the story, uh, it's felt it's it's subtextual or subconsciously felt, you know, it it's like when you're in a movie theater and the music is too low. You might be the only one who notices that I'm always constantly running to the. Are you? Me too. Me yeah. too. I've done yeah. that so many times. They just look at you like you're out of your fucking mind. Yeah, and I go, no, listen, at the Wang Chung screening, I mean, the To Live and Die in LA screening, it yeah. started and I'm sitting next to Wang Chung, which was, that was a trip. Anyway, I'm like, this is, you know. You know I'm, I'm sitting next to Wang Chung. <laughs> How long in your life have you wanted to say that? So, so long. And yeah. then, and then, Wang and Chung, yeah, right here. They're both here. Yeah. They're both here. And that... I had to remind myself because I was having some struggles at the time when we talked about, and it was in the middle of getting uh, fixed, but I had to just tell myself, Craig, look, this, you did this, like, you know, like you did this. And uh, I wonder, did you have times in your life where you were doubting? I know you didn't doubt the ultimate outcome or your, your abilities or anything like that, but I'm curious if you had those moments where you had to really work at reminding yourself. No. No, I just walk into it and fucking do it, you know. I can remember lines and, you know, I can go, you know. The worst thing in the world for actors is remembering that what you've got to say. Yeah. You know, and giving it. But somehow I just sort of absorbed it. You know, when I, you know, Don Joseph's a really dear friend of mine. And, and uh, we met in 1972, way before Sally Crockett. You know, is that Zachariah era? Yes, it's exactly right. Yeah. Smart. <laughs> so there we are in London, mad, you know, coke great and you could tell that this guy i mean every room he walked into and what were we 22 yeah maybe? oh yeah maybe very very of, you know, very young and uh and he really he did that thing with sal minio he did a play with sal minio fortune in men's eyes exactly right good for you excellent and he you know he was one of those people that could absolutely look at a script okay right and, and do the scene and i i sort of somehow inhabited that you know 
And then as I did, you know, what, I've done 160 hours of American television. Two uh, of which, of course, are Miami Vice. Where one yeah. You, one you play yourself, and the other one you play the sleaziest, creepiest yeah, pimp. Yeah, yeah. And I Dr- love that. Yeah, drug pimp. Oh, you were on Cagney and Lacey, too. And I was watching that oh, over yeah. the pandemic. I was like, fuck yeah, there I'm so excited is. to see it. Yeah. Well, every day somebody goes, oh my God, you were in this and that. and um, My and, sister uh, Sam, I was thrilled to see. My sister Sam, yeah. well, that was very, that was terrible because of that girl, you know, she got oh, murdered. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so it's really good. So I remember. But then after a while, you go, I don't want to act anymore. It's almost like a Dada kind of spiritualism where you don't want to fake anything anymore or, sure. or be part of anything that is fakery, A. And B, you're in that trailer for like eight hours to come and do a 20-minute, you know, scene. Yeah. I don't want to do... I, I can't sit in a trailer for eight hours, you know. I mean, I'm not Alan Schwarzenegger. I don't have all the gym in that trailer, <laughs> which, I, which I did with Clint when I did Pink Cadillac, you right. know, the right. first night. That was amazing, man. Can I tell that story? Please, I love this. Well, yeah. here I am, pink Cadillac. I'm playing the bad guy. I would, I was hired by video. You know, oh, I okay, went into yeah. the thing and I would talk like this, and I just I was a biker and I was an American tough motherfucking a black leather jacket. I'm gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. And that went to Clint. Clint said. Get him, you know. So I came on Nevada. It was in Nevada, uh, you know, and we came on the set in my leather jacket, biker vibe, and there's Clint, right? Clint fucking Eastwood. My old, I mean, when I was a youngster there, look, I'm that incredible face, you know. Well, once again, I'm looking up. Well, he's very tall. (laughs) So I'm looking up in his face and I go, go ahead. Make my career. <laughs> I said to him, and and he, la- you know, he, you know, he did what you did. He laughed his head off, you know. And that night, because he knew I was a musician, which he is. Yeah, very skilled jazz piano. pianist. Yeah. So we go to the trailer, and the reason I'm thinking about that it was Schwarzenegger's gym. Oh wow! That we had, a, he had on location, and, and he he said, "Come and watch this movie." And and we went in there, and and you know what he he played a documentary on Thelonious Monk. Right. The last thing you might think, if you didn't know about his, you know, music. Yeah, you know, really complex, you know, the guy would just look at the piano and, you know, not even play it. And it was spectacular. (laughs) (laughs) Just near a piano. It was the Marcel Marceau of jazz. (laughs) And there he is. He loved the jazz. And then for the rest of that shoot, we just were like music mad. I think the irreverence with which you approached him as well. Oh, yeah. Because I think that that's something, and I'm sure you've experienced this. Yeah, uh, you can. It's like this. You can also your street smarts, if you want. If we could reduce it to that, yeah. your awareness, as we mentioned before at the lunch, uh, are they're so keen, and of course that's what kept you alive very early, and then maybe other times in your life. Uh, I'm sure you've had that thing where there's this like there's a dividing line between, okay, I talk to this person, okay, I don't talk to this person, or however you think about it i talked to everybody i remember when i walked on the set of deserved love and i thought I, sydney points here honestly was a father figure the only father figure i've ever had except for maybe keith richards which sounds ridiculous and probably is but keith always that was a very very interesting vibe you know how this piratical guy that lived in his, by his own rules i mean there's very few people you know that did that or successfully did that. Or, uh, successfully with, like, yeah, did that. Exactly yeah. right. You know, because Jagger has become this incredible superpower, you know, yeah. uh, you know, on a business level and everything. But Keith has just been playing, you know, that G-string guitar. You know, I mean, you know, but but so Sydney was really was paternally 
in a way we all fit are they after me well yeah look i tried to keep the info from them that you were going to be here and you know oh jesus here we go again we're gonna see what happens i know (laughs) i didn't give them the uh any information really but i tried to keep the apartment number very quiet (laughs) 69 no doubt (laughs) yeah um so therefore sydney became this father figure which is insane you know at at that time he was in those three movies you know i guess he's gonna be to dinner Mm -hmm. and you know call me mr tibbs yeah and 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 to say love and he was the biggest star in the world he was a black guy and I, I do this struck us as young english kids big time you know so we all loved him you know went to him for sort of you know how do i do this and how do i do that and he would you know, shoulders back beautiful guy I mean, yeah gorgeous and it would explain to us and sean connery was in the soundstage next is doing bond can you wow. imagine that that is wild and he'll come in sean at one point sydney was we were rehearsing and sydney came in on the first take and said you know sit down sit down children sit down children <laughs> and they said no we want to try that again and it went action and sean connery came in and said sit, <laughs> sit down children you know <laughs> and you know if you just we were 17 18 years old and the surreality of that too and james also, bond sydney Poitier. what that's pretty good and also sydney Poitier, his story is so inspiring i can't remember what uh, country he grew up in but when Barbados, he came, i think right and when he came over here he couldn't read or write i think no but he he became this messianic guy i mean what a what an incredible symbol for black artists absolutely harry belafonte same thing they yeah. were dear friends you know and they <laughs> never stopped um activism no Ever. throughout their careers absolutely and they're both just brilliant gorgeous looking incredible talented people and they did so much to break uh barriers and everything i'm trying to remember what show it was i was listening to the guy who uh podcast with a guy that the guy who i can't remember steve bender who produced elvis's comeback yeah. special and all that yeah and i think it was patula clark that uh some big car manufacturer said because they held hands at the end of a song i mean something that wouldn't even uh, people wouldn't even uh, half blink an eye yeah. now, but this, maybe it was Ford or show. I can't remember, but they said, we're pulling all the thing. And it was like Ford presents, but they stuck to their guns and they said, this is what we're doing. If you want to do that, we'll find someone else. They'll be happy with it. And I guess they did find someone else, but it's amazing to think that not that long ago, that's what the deal was. Yeah. I mean, showbiz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another chapter in showbiz's yeah. history. No, it's it's really uh, well. And yeah, to sir, to serve with love, and then right, if I remember correctly, and we may have covered this before, then you went into the stage acting, right? I, I did. Well, yeah. I mean, I before that, I I toured Europe in Hamlet, and um, uh, you know, with the Young Shakespeare Company, yeah, and all these teens going up there and doing Ben, you know playing hamlet and that was really amazing but beth we did you know much ado about nothing i did and toured europe with, yeah. the, with the young shakespeare thing and that really was fantastic but the stones came along you know what i mean, I mean was, but, but back to keith richards when was the first time that you encountered him um i i was in school in boarding school in lancashire and uh the Stones were playing in Derbyshire. It was up north in England. And I went to the uh, headmaster of our particular, it was five sort of different uh, places where these guys, you know, 600 of us kids, horrible, uh, <laughs> masturbatory nutcases yeah. and, uh, and aristocratic. Yes, I, you know, I, my father is a tycoon and my father was in fucking jail, you know. But yet so, you had a title, which oh, yeah. complicated Oh, yeah, that's what things. happened. It, well, I used it. 
Well, that's, yeah. Yeah, right, right. I mean, I obviously, uh, please call me Marky. Thank you. And that's acting, too. Like oh, that, to absolutely. Get back to, I mean, I just wanted to be Brian Jones. But I get ahead of myself. So I go to the guy, the art guy, and I say, look, there's this sort of incredible blues band that I'm very interested in, and I'd love to go see them, if I may, with a couple of friends. Is that okay that we go into Derbyshire and see this blues, this southern states of America, and made it to sound like some history? you know, musical thing. Yeah. As opposed to like the sensual freaks. <laughs> the, the, you know, the songs So I went, so we went there in the afternoon, we're walking around, walking around, and I see this beautiful blonde in a phone booth with two other girls. Mm-hmm. And I come up to the booth with my buddies, go, oh, wow. And the beautiful blonde turns around. It's Brian Jones. <laughs> it's Brian Jones with these two gorgeous girls. Yeah. And and we go and, and we wait for him to come out and we and we go and I said something like, You smoke a lot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> something so stupid. Because we were absent. We're kids from you know boarding school, yeah. you know, and being taught sort of algebra. Yeah. And he's like, you know, <laughs> He, he actually was brilliant, Brian Jones. You know, he's a real intellect. And, and he said, do you want a cigarette? I said, well, I'm not really. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was gone. But then we saw the Stones. And that changed me a lot. When I saw them play in those uninhibited sort of decadence and purple velvet trousers, I thought, yes, please. I, I, I want to do that. I don't want to wear soccer shorts anymore. Yeah. And boom. I went back to London. I did that dirty show in town, mm-hmm. that musical, new musical. <laughs> and Andrew Weber says, he's good. He can sing. And boom, I got a record deal. You know. Did you ever work with Paul Nicholas? Yes, I did work with Paul Nicholas. You know, Paul Nicholas was the, our star. You know, we were in drama school. Yeah. And Paul Nicholas met an awful lot because he was singing too and he was acting, you know. And, and hard, thought, doing the hard graft just like you yeah. as well. And, and it, was a, it, it was a template for me, Paul Nicholas. I love that. Great looking, really good, really, really talented guy. But, uh, you know. But, you know, in the UK, he's known by everyone. Oh, yeah. He's Cliff Richard. Yeah, he is. And uh, but yet, like Cliff, he could come here and supermarket shop with no problem. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to reach out again to Paul Nicholas because I called his office and I've I've been fascinated by him since I saw Tommy. Oh, yeah. And then Sergeant Pepper. I was like, who is this guy? Because. There's no way to find out pre-internet too, and then I that's so many. I was like, uh, this guy's incredible. Well, he's a rock and roll actor, which is so interesting. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and it's like Tom Waits or something. You know, he yeah, is. He is know, in a strange way. Yeah, and I, any show I can get of his from England, I you get watch, it. Yeah, yeah. He had a charisma that uh, nobody else had. It was almost like an international charisma. It wasn't an English thing. It wasn't like Connery or something. You know, so yeah. it was clearly English, Scottish in his case, but. He was a very talented bloke, and he got all the birds. Oh, yeah. No, I can imagine. In his book, because I, I have both of them, uh, it, it was funny as my uh, Ada's father walked in, and all my Paul Nicholas stuff was all over the table. He was helping to move some stuff, and he said, well, it looks like that's a pretty comprehensive Paul Nicholas collection. <laughs> <laughs> well, who the hell is going to know Paul Nicholas is here? You know, it's so interesting that you can be God over there yeah. and not here, you know. And also, he never stops working, just like you. Yep. He's on stage constantly. But Keith, uh, to get into when... Now, when you say a father figure, I'm assuming that you meant, like, personal interaction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious about that, too, because his book, which is, of course, one of the best rock books, autobiography, whatever... In that, and we were talking about how I was recently diagnosed bipolar, 
he's got something because I in the the almost the most fascinating part to me is he describes once he had some money and access to drugs, it wasn't just like right into the heroin. He would take barbiturates in the morning to lower his energy level. Well, this is something that you've dealt with, you know, yes. so yes. you're finding it very interesting. But the thing and this is, is before, sorry, before I yeah, knew. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, yeah, the drug thing. I mean, I don't want to really get into the drug thing. No, no, listen, it, it's not about the drug thing. What it is, is that I think that, the, you know, people say, eh, people, all these people being diagnosed with this autism and there's a sort of resistance to it. But when you look at that and it's not about celebrating the drugs, but it's about this guy sort of figuring out how to cope with no because he'd be he also said he'd be up for three days and this is before the coke era so i just thought that's uh, it's that stuff that i'm fascinated with that, that, that there's been conditions that there are conditions that are have been around for forever but the only thing about keith that i think wasn't superman you know was with anita you know because brian loved anita pallenberg as yeah. much as he could yeah know? and keith fell in love with anita and took that you know away and now that is that is heavy. Plus, you know, Brian Jones' books and all the the people that adore Brian would say Keith took everything from Brian Jones. To, to, so all of these things mean nothing to me. How yeah. do you know? What are you talking about? Sure. You don't know what Keith felt. You know, well, it's fan fiction. A so lot you're of the time. making this up? Fan fiction? Bullshit. That, that reinforces the narrative that people want to see. Well, or they projection. want to justify themselves, which is what you're doing. Hmm. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, well, in a way, but you know what, to me, it's seeing something that he wrote, that he said, that resonated with you me. You can't trust these books. Well, yeah, these but These books are written by somebody else, yeah. and he'd go, yeah, look, that's all right. But could I, can I trust your documentary? Um, oh, yeah, because you see me. Well, yes. And you can see. Well, I know, lies. but it's the same principle. And even if it's a fabrication, that's a strange fabrication to make up. He's just saying a casual thing about his breakfast. You know, yeah. he, he wasn't making a big case out of it. And that's when I usually go, that sounds like a, a true thing. And it, again, it's not about it's not about justifying drugs. It's seeing that that is, again, it resonates with me. And also that... Um, not just the self-medication, which is, I think, one of the reasons he's lived so long is that he's not that this is something to admire, but I don't know. He, he's titrated whatever uh, successfully whenever, you know, you can think different things about that. But anyway, no, it was just the, the, that aspect of people revealing something they don't realize is an example of mental conditions that have been around for forever. Yeah, he's a, he's a smart Englishman. You know, and he did, uh, you know, he really was, I think, more taken by jimmy reed than he was timothy leary well and that's the other thing it's not like it that's the thing it's not like uh extolling the virtues of expanding the consciousness or something uh -uh. he's just talking about his breakfast i think he, <laughs> i think he lived with below the belt he's a very feral man sure well you know and later in the book he talks uh, very, very disparagingly about his own behavior when he met his wife and how bad he was treating the family on the first blush because he was drinking i don't know how much vodka. yeah but that's all for the current wife darling you know i mean oh uh, okay all right you know yeah i get on. it yeah i get it yeah. you're a little skeptical of the well i'm not skeptical i'm just honest you well know? I, I mean understand. he's saying that because his wife's going to read the fucking book fair enough his current wife yeah fair so enough. he's got to talk about it was terrible i was bad but now i'm in love and now I mean, don't you think that would man. be what he no, would that, do that I, makes sense yeah that makes the sense. opposite of that is is a divorce 
Right, or that Believe I was you perfect. Miss Pamela no. wrote a book, you know, so I know about this trip. Oh, see, how did you initially feel when Pamela wrote the book? Just the photographs. I just wanted to look good. <laughs> You've got some amazing ones. The one with the drug tiger on stage. I think. Did you also split your pants at that show? Oh, of course, I split my pants every show. I had a, a special <laughs> zip. <that I> would... <laughs> oh, okay. Now <laughs> I was like, oh, secrets revealed. But it did revealed. happen a lot. We're so tight, you know. But uh, the, the tiger was fantastic, man. That mm-hmm. story. But I've. Told I know, times. but I have to reference it in terms of the photos. And we talked about it on the yeah, show before. No, that that tiger was spectacular. You know, that first show at the Whiskey Go Go, I had the tiger and he got on that stage and it took a shit, you know. <laughs> and a girl put, put up a, a bouquet of flowers at the same time and I took the flowers and stuck it in the shit and there you have it. There you Whiskey go. Whiskey Go Go rock and roll. Well, this is also the thing of being present in the moment. I know that you were. In, you know, ingesting things at the time. But uh, I think, do you think that there is a correlation between the being present and also like the restlessness of being sat in a trailer for eight hours? Do you think if my, my assumption, which is, uh, is correct, which is that that's part of the, the nature of yourself, that it's, um, you want to be occupied. Yeah. Don't want to waste time. Cause then I'll be thinking and thinking yeah. stinks, stinking thinking. Now, that's, I may have asked you this in a different way before. <clears throat> Do you recall when that became clear to you? Yeah, I, I, when I was exhausted at, to working like that, and I was like 45 you know, years old, and I'd done so much, and I just wanted to rest and relocate my vibe. You know? Yeah. And um, and I did, and I took a year off, and mm-hmm. uh, and then I came back, you know, in another way. Uh, but this, the, you know, the repetition is really hard you know the repeating and and then being there and then wasting time and i was very conscious of you know hey how long do i have on the planet you know mm-hmm. i can't waste it in here you know with people doing your hair and doing this and putting you in this silly outfit with a gun that doesn't work and, and burnt face makeup and yeah, all that stuff yeah. yeah i mean just it's because i did a lot of shows where i had that sort of uh, you know the way they would make me look some some and that was just tiresome after a while. Sure. And also the the crew and the thing. I loved crews in the beginning of it. I would stick with them. I wouldn't stick with the people in the show, you yeah. know, and I would love the workers, you know, the people yeah. who really worked really hard doing 15 hours, you know, and driving home, you know, and, you know, and they would crash. And, you know, I mean, awful things would happen. And, and usually the actors and actresses were sort of terrified. I yeah. mean, doing those those movies and that TV thing is a shockingly difficult thing to do because it's cameras, thousands of people, and you've got to get it right, you know. And, and after a while, I thought, I don't want to feel this vibe here anymore. Did you ever feel uh, that thing that sometimes happens to actors where if there's rejection or they don't like something that you do, that it's taken personally as if they don't like you? Yeah, yeah. of course, yeah. yeah. That's a very, very good question because... You know, you've got to believe in yourself if you're in show business. You really do because you can fall, you know, they're not clapping, you know. Yeah, or you can focus on the one negative thing. Yeah. That's with the Wang Chung thing, though. I had a a recorder, a backup recorder, and I just let it run. I didn't care if I got the sound of the movie. I didn't care. I just wanted to make sure it was recording. Someone turned it off. I don't know how they did it. I I had it plugged into a backup source. Awful. Awful. And I, I got home and I went into a tunnel. And then Ada said, look at this thing. And I said, okay, and I'm going to put it out soon. This sounds okay. You know, I did some fixing on it. Like, but what is it? It's, I've watched those before. So you have to think, well, how would I consider this? I wouldn't go, oh, fucking idiot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you can make good out of bad. 
Yes, you can. You know, and that's what you did. Thank you. And, and it's such a good thing. Why mar it? And that's the kind of thing that I was talking about getting in. I'm looking into getting into cognitive behavioral therapy because that stuff is ingrained from past experiences, past trauma, whatever causes it, uh, whether it's wiring in your brain. And instead of going to what's the negative thing to reshape that. Now, I know that you've done that and in your own way, but I want to hasten the process. And I think, again, any tool that's out there, I want to use it. Best tool in the world is go for a walk. That's true. I do need to do more of that. I tend to, I'm sure you can imagine, I tend to hole up in here. The curtains are usually drawn, you know. That's right. You got to get out. And you're also for your brain at a certain age. I, I walk every morning. Every, yes. And I live in Pasadena where it's gorgeous, right? I'm lucky. But there's trees and flowers, and especially after this rain that's happened in the last few months. And now, the, you know, it's so beautiful. And I go for this walk. Every, I do the show. I go for a walk. Because I have to get it off my mind. I have to get Otis Redding out of my soul, yeah. if you'll pardon the obvious. Because <laughs> uh, you, you couldn't get the soul out of Otis Redding, right. so you're going to have to do something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you're going for a walk and keeping you know, yourself fit athletically you know, and physically is terribly important. Well, I've been thinking about joining a gym, which is something that I never did I'll because I was fat as a kid. Get so you bike. get this, you get an yeah, aversion right. to the stuff, you know? Yes. Like, oh, that's not me. I can't do that. No. Oh, which lingers on afterwards when you have a, a body dysmorphia. Well, you have such a terrific mind that you will lose if you don't exercise. Sure. Yeah. It's well, as you simple know, as that. I just watched the, for the second time, the Gordon Lightfoot documentary, which I find him very inspiring. Oh, one yeah. of the best voices in the oh. world. Weirdly, I started, I was up visiting my parents who they got me into him when I was young. My mom said she used to listen to Gord's Gold while she was carrying me uh, over and over and over. But um, I find his whole music, I mean, all of his music rather, so affecting. And his story as well, which has parallels to yours. You know, he cleaned up, I, I don't know, 82. And like when you first see him in the documentary, he's... Uh, extremely he's uh, he's fit like you mm. you know and 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 like full of energy and stuff yeah and then you, you before he cleaned up you look like a melted candle or a melting candle yeah you know it's so no good is it no it's that's who wants that's to gordon badfoot <laughs> yes it is yeah it is i don't want that no so work out yeah i will I'm going to. You know, because it's terribly important. It will, it's the best drug in the world, you know. If you're mm -hmm. looking for something to, you know, make it clear what's going on out there in the world, do the, do, you know, exercise. You don't have to run. You don't yeah. have to ride a bike. You walk. Because yeah. it's a spiritual thing after a while, you know. You The pace of it, mm -hmm. it's slow. It's not like, you know, these people that work out in these gyms, you know, it's like they're... they're, they're, they're well, they're chasing something that's almost impossible to attain sometimes. It, absolutely right. And they can't believe that they're not bigger than they were yesterday, you know, and all of this thing. And it's, it becomes competitive and it's absurd. You, if you go out in the countryside or even the streets of uh, of Hollywood, it's the same thing. Well, I mean, know? I live like you live in Pasadena. Yeah. West Hollywood is beautiful. It's beautiful. I was just driving in and I thought, my God, you know, it, it, I used to love to go down Melrose Avenue and mm -hmm. buy leather clothing. But, it's, <laughs> you know, it's terribly important you know to to keep moving keep your body moving and know. also with that also like keep your not image but your clothing the manner of presentation oh, something God. that, that I is mean, 29 inch waist is essential to for spiritual growth yeah so yeah and i'm <laughs> I, it, well it is see i'm at a 31 waist but i was uh, uh, struggling oh, a little dear. well like i was struggling for a little while with the weight stuff but i'm on the salmon only diet at the moment a so salmon only well pretty much i had it for breakfast so uh, i find i work better mentally water if water, had, water water 
water, water, water. No, no. Um, you know, m- my friends that are really skinny that are of a certain age uh, drink lots of water and only have three meals. Yes. So they're not snacking. Yeah. You know? and, and also having protein for me uh, helps to uh, lessen the bipolar Absolutely. Uh, problems. Absolutely. Calms you down. Because also when I had an episode recently, I got donuts a bunch. It's one of those things that I have to... Now I know why that happens, because that's not my usual course of action, because I don't want to get heavy again. But you're in this state, and you're craving sugar. You know what I mean? So, But anyway, I'm learning a lot more about it. You're craving a kiss, you know. Well, yeah, that's true, and it is in London, although we have a (laughs) non-monogamous policy, but I wasn't really seeking anyone out, because I was very busy, you know. Yeah, but it's, you know, busy, then you think, well, I'm evading what I should should be doing, you know. And that can make being present uh, very hard, too, because you're making lists of things. I'm trying to make, I did lists now. Yeah, oh boy, I couldn't do that, dude. I I do lists. I, I, you know, I mean, I don't even... I don't remember what happened yesterday. Well, I try to do it as I'm doing it. So I write it down. And then what I can do is instead of thinking, what didn't I do on the list? I can look at it and see, oh, this, yeah, I did that. And that's something that's important. And that this is maybe it doesn't look like work, but this is part of, let's say research or something, you know, whatever it is. Uh, or even just, oh, I did the laundry. I did the, you know, d- yeah, okay. You're doing things. I don't but, want to repeat anything. Well, it's not repeating. It's uh, also for me clawing out of the pandemic and the isolation that didn't, didn't not work for me. I loved it. Yeah. See, I was not in a great place. So it just ex- uh, exacerbated. I know you had that situation with a child. And a, uh, well, yeah, which, you're right. Which is a shock. And of course it's wonderful, but the shock was, uh, but the thing is, is when it's tempted to say, this is great. This is the most beautiful. This is a miracle. Cause you feel you, like you're not allowed you to feel say like, else. yeah, yeah, exactly. And it would be easy to say this It's fucking nightmare, you know, which you'd what you'd say to your therapist, you know, presumably, you know, yeah. well, you, I, you know, be, when I first got the phone call, I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you know, it's impossible. Yeah, that's impossible. I've never wanted. Uh, what are you do- talking yeah, about? How are we going to do this? My life isn't like that. I get, you know, well, that's the other thing, Krishnamurti, you know, you deal with what is, you, you know, what is, is, and you can't gonna negate it. And you, you, you know, you accept acceptance is the key to everything. Acceptance and forgiveness, forgiveness of self and acceptance is the key to the whole fucking thing. Well, because if you pretend that something that is, isn't. It is. But, I, but And if you pretend otherwise... You're fucked. Yes, exactly. You're going to keep digging that... Essentially a grave, no a spiritual orgasm. grave. No. <laughs> exactly. Which is also uh, essential uh, to everything. Which is part... You know, you're back to your the body being... Uh, I should call my next of, album Orgasm. Babe. Yes, I, I absolutely. Coming well, soon. <laughs> that's quite good. We're, you have a great promo campaign for that too. The anticipation is key i've always got a good promo campaign you do you do remember we came up with a game show once oh yeah 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 that's great (laughs) that was so cool I but, see that you're dabbling with pastries. Yeah, dabbling with pastries. <laughs> but you know, it, I've had a, a wonderful time, and I have a wonderful time talking to you. And I'm sure you're, you know, tired of all my sort of, you know, experiences because you know most of them. Uh, but I also remember the ones that we've uh, covered yeah. on previous episodes, and I touch on them. Uh, I will touch on them if it's a salient point at the time. But again, I yeah. don't drag it out because no. I I really love our conversations. And, oh, me too. And and back to your feelings about interviewing people which mirror mine 
it's if you're not present you're not doing it and then you're not getting the fulfillment from it and i find that uh, uh, uh outside of when i've had mental difficulties which would lead to me thinking as soon as i left oh i fucked up i didn't do you know that's yeah that, that's something that and and that, having to real getting to realize being having the gift of realizing yeah that's not me that's this thing just like diabetes. But the other way of looking at it, though, if I may interject, yes, is please, that re- I, research. Yeah. You know, if you're going to talk to somebody, you better know who they are and what they've done. Now, one tends to get into a sort of a different, uh, you know, vibe where you really, really want to know. Yeah. Because a lot of interviewers interview very well, but they're not listening to the answers. They've thought of the questions. Oh, I mean, I've seen that so many times uh, working with, on other projects and things. And so what does that other person feel like when they can feel that they're just all sort of puffed up about what a terrific question that was and they don't listen to the answer? All you guys out there who do this th- kind of stuff, listen, absorb and come back and make that the chapter of a book that you're going to write in 45 minutes. Well, that's one of the reasons why your episodes uh, with me have resonated so well with people. Uh, people who, again, uh, maybe young kids who knew some of the guests that we had, a certain stripe of guests. Yeah. But yours are one of the most uh, mentioned to me. That's great. I mean, it's just that one has achieved at 75 years old. And, and really, for the last 10, 20 years, I, I felt comfortable, at yeah. ease, and more importantly, interested in other people. Well, I think that, <laughs> is, that is very uh, parallel, uh, or not parallel, but congruent with acts of service because that can be that can be understood as so many different things it doesn't mean oh i have to go to a soup kitchen which of course is one version of that yeah. and very very uh valuable and important yeah but it also means being interested and, and yes and when i say this next thing it's not that it's a charity thing i love talking to uber drivers i love it and it's not i said to someone once i described it as well think of it this way it's a rehearsal for what i do but it's not just rehearsal for what i do it's a manner of keeping present and then i'm engaged with someone i think that's great it's it's such a wonderful thing i do it all the time i imagine i was gonna guess or i did guess that i'll stop at people in the street and i will talk to them and uh, you know and then they will answer see people are so happy to be asked a question they are oh i i'm recognized oh boy yeah and it's a beautiful thing i'll do it all in the marketplace wherever it is that's a great house great boots where'd you get those boots you got those boots on king's road i knew king's road i used to go to king's road in london there is a king's road in london and also in and suddenly there's a friendship even if it only lasts two minutes. That's something else that I've really uh, noticed and enjoyed. I kind of felt it anyway. But Well, you uh, care about humanity. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing this. You wouldn't want to know what people were on, you know, who they really were. That's really lovely. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. That's something that that's a that's a kind of compliment that reson- or really yeah, resonates with my word of the day uh, means more to me than a lot of other compliments. Well, I'm not here to compliment. No, no, no. I, I, I know that. I think the thing is that, is that you, what you're doing is is a spiritual act because you're letting that person explain themselves to you. And that's what we're all trying to do. We want people to know who we are. And if you ask the right question, you're going to get the right answer. And I also think, going with the flow. Like I never, I said to Ada yesterday, I said the great, one of the greatest things, Michael's coming over. I don't really, I don't have to do any preparation. No. At all, because we're going to talk and it's going to be wonderful. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about, you know, I mean, Duran Duran. 
I love Duran Duran and John Taylor's fantastic and yeah. I wrote that song with Andy Taylor who is very ill and I love Andy but I'm not you know I mean I'd rather stay in the moment and talk about you what what do you want well you know so it's like a, it's not an interview it's a conversation yeah, it I is think a we conversation. should end there don't you yeah you think so I think so okay that's a lovely spot to end on yeah. Michael it's always a pleasure to talk to you pleasure is mine and I look forward to the next time that we're able to God bless you I'll be around like tomorrow fantastic okay great <laughs> one o'clock <laughs> okay love you Michael love you too Remember, Little Stevens Underground Garage. What's the time again? Many times all over the country. See, but that's the thing. In Los Angeles, it's 9 p.m. to midnight every night, Monday through Friday. But on the East Coast, it's from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. every day, Monday through Friday. Little Stevens Underground Garage, Series 6 M, Channel 21. And I if you're confused you. about any of that, if it's too many numbers, it's on the website, and you'll be doing yourself a great service by listening. Head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends, support the show, and uh, set yourself free.